the Illegal Underground Podcast, episode 36. On today's show, an explanation for my three-week absence, an update on Law Student Podcasts, and a prayer for plaintiff's lawyers facing the crisis of an upcoming trial. This is the Legal Underground Podcast, hosted by Evan Schaefer. It's the only show where you can hear about important legal stories that may or may not affect you. Yes, Evan really goes out on a limb, doesn't he? And now, here's Evan Schaefer. Hello, podcasting early adapters. It's been a while, and I apologize, and there's, well, there's no excuse. Billing myself as a podcasting professional, and then not podcasting for three weeks, I'm a disgrace to the podcasting revolution. Here's what happened. After I finished that last podcast, episode 35, which concerned the recent Vioxx verdict in Texas, I was very fortunate to be invited to speak at a conference at the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, to speak, coincidentally, about the same topic about which I podcasted last, that Vioxx verdict down in Texas. It required some serious preparation, which took a lot of time. And don't get me wrong, I know my Vioxx. Not only did I devote an entire podcast to the subject, but I also represent a bunch of former Vioxx users, and I might be doing mostly Vioxx for the next couple of years. But despite this vast knowledge of mine, (laughs) right, it took me a lot of time to get ready for the conference, since I was the only plaintiff's lawyer on a panel of tort reformers who probably would have liked to tar and feather me, and I wanted to be ready for any question that anyone might spring on me. Add to that the fact that there was a lot of press in attendance, and I had to be ready. To tell you the truth, it's press coverage that always makes me a little wary. Normally, I deal with reporters I don't know like this. First, I talk to them on the phone, off the record, and find out what they need a quote about. Then I say goodbye and think about it for a while and write the quote down on paper. Then I call them back. It's a great way to make sure you're not misquoted by a reporter you don't know well enough to trust. But at this event at the American Enterprise Institute, I didn't have the luxury of being able to script out my answers to reporters' questions. So I felt like I had to be on my toes and that I should prepare enough to be ready for just about anything. So, what happened? Well, the event took place last Wednesday, September the 7th, and I think it went okay. I read the press coverage afterwards, and it doesn't appear, at least to me, that I said anything embarrassing or outrageous, or which will come back to haunt me in the future. You know, like when I'm running for public office or, more likely, fighting off a wrongful indictment for something I didn't do. All in all... And joking aside, things in Washington went very well. It was a lot of fun besides. Now I'm back and my Vioxx speech is all in the past and I have time to do another podcast. Hallelujah. If you're interested in the details of my presentation, by the way, I covered the event on my weblog, Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground, which you can find at www.legalunderground.com. That's the place to go for all the details. The title of my presentation was, In Defense of the Jury System, Post Ernst. Not only did I defend the jury system, but I tried to correct some of the more misleading claims that have been made about the science that was presented at the Ernst trial. They're claims that needed some correcting, in my opinion. So, what else has been happening? In other work-related news, I did an earlier podcast in which I talked about a case I'm working on with Lanny Darr, in which we represent a class of employees who we say should be getting paid overtime under the Illinois overtime laws. In that prior podcast, I talked about the class certification hearing and said I wasn't sure how the judge would rule. Well, to follow up, 
It turns out that the trial judge did grant class certification, and now, as I predicted, the defendant is appealing the certification decision to the Illinois Appellate Court. That's been keeping me busy, too. But enough of that. Let's get on with the show. After a short break, I'll be back with my long-promised update on Law Student Podcasts. Podcasting by Law Students. On my weblog and in other podcasts, I've mentioned three of them, Ambivalent Voices, Life of a Law Student, and the Law Student Podcast. I'm happy to report that they're all still going strong. Daryl and Chris from the Law School Podcast have done seven shows. Todd of Ambivalent Voices has done 16, the last being an interview with Deborah Schneider, co-author of Should You Really Be a Lawyer? And don't forget the Law School Podcasting Phenomenon, Neil Winneman who hosts Life of a Law Student. I'll have more to say about that one in a moment. Are there other law student podcasts? If so, let me know. I noticed, by the way, that Daryl and Chris of Law School Podcast have been listening to this one. Well, Daryl has been anyway, and it took my irritation with the term attorney to heart. Something I mentioned a few weeks ago, that lawyers who insist on being called attorneys think too highly of themselves. Well, Chris, who operates as Daryl's sidekick on the show, is a secretary at a real-life law firm, and he took an informal survey asking the lawyers at his office whether they'd rather be called lawyers or attorneys. Not surprisingly, some preferred attorney. They said it commanded more respect and sounded more professional. But others said, hey, call me a lawyer, I don't care, it's okay. And according to Chris, those are the ones he'd rather be partying with. And you know, that was exactly my point. Who'd want to spend time with someone who insists on being called an attorney? No one, except perhaps another attorney. They'll find out soon enough that they're going to be some very lonely people. And before I forget, I also want to talk about Neil Winneman's Life of a Law Student podcast, which is pretty amazing in its scope. Neil is actually putting together extensive podcasts based on what he's learning as a first-year law student. He's putting each class out as a separate feed. Torts, contracts, civil procedure, and so on. When I last checked... There were six episodes in the introduction to the law feed, six in civil procedure, five contracts, seven torts, and six constitutional law. Listening to Neil's podcast takes me back a few years, about 18 years to be precise, and it's amazing to learn that nothing's changed. It's all the same cases we talked about at my law school during the first year. Of course, I'm probably not in Neil's target audience. Even so, I think the approach he's taking is a very interesting one. That is, a student podcasting what he learns at class. On the other hand, I do admit that I'm a little worried that Neil will get so caught up in making sense of his notes for his listeners that he'll neglect the key to the first semester of law school, which is applying the legal rules you learn in class to as many crazy factual situations as possible and teaching yourself to think immediately of the rule whenever you see a similar crazy factual situation. It's something called issue spotting. It's important because law school exams are nothing but two or three crazy factual situations, which you have to sort out by applying the correct legal rules. Issue spotting is something I taught myself to do using flashcards, which is really the only way to go. On my weblog, 
I once wrote a detailed explanation of my secrets to issue spotting and doing well on the first semester law school exams. I think I'll link to that post in the show notes. In the meantime, I hope Neil keeps up the good work, as long as he doesn't neglect those important exam-taking skills, which, by the way, his law school professors might tell him absolutely nothing about. It's a strange experience, law school, full of pitfalls and booby traps and spring guns. So, enough about podcasts? I think so. Let's take another short musical break, and I'll be back with a prayer for plaintiff's lawyers facing the crisis of an upcoming trial. Why don't we forget about everything else? Don't you want to forget? Alright, it's time to get serious. Very serious. Long ago, when I was a civil defense lawyer, I wrote a prayer for plaintiff's lawyers that was published in a magazine called the Minnesota Bench and Bar. I've also published the prayer on my weblog, but I've never recited it on a podcast. So here goes. A Prayer for Plaintiff's Lawyers by Evan Schaefer Dear Lord, here I am back in church. It's been a while, I freely admit. And I apologize for my long string of Sunday absences, but as you know, the demands of my busy practice often require me to work all weekend, Sundays included. That's true even today, Lord, but today is a special Sunday. So special, in fact, that to skip Mass today would be malpractice, more or less, if you know what I mean, which, of course, you do. Tomorrow is a big trial. Not only is it big, Lord, but as you know already, it's huge. The most important trial of my career to date the trial at which my client stands to collect millions of dollars in addition to a sizable punitive damages award. With this in mind, Lord, I come to you today at Mass, and even though I may be preoccupied from time to time, which is understandable given the magnitude of my burden, I ask that you have mercy on your humble servant and hear his prayer. And so, I pray as follows. First and foremost, Lord, let your light shine on my opponent that he may come to me tomorrow morning before the trial begins with the news that he will accept my settlement demand, which as I recall is in the neighborhood of $7 million. Of course, you shouldn't let your light shine too brightly on my opponent if you know what I mean, which of course you do, but at least grant him the wisdom to look upon my settlement demand as worthy of his consideration, even if it isn't, so that the trial won't even be necessary and I can begin working on my next big case. On the other hand, Lord, If it be your plan that before I win and cement my reputation as a trial lawyer of the first rank, my opponent and I will actually have to engage in courtroom battle, then as your humble servant I will accept your judgment. However, please keep in mind that an early settlement is certainly the better option, as it would immediately alleviate the stress in my heart and allow me to get some much needed sleep. You should also know, Lord, that an early settlement will free up my Sundays for at least the next month making it no problem at all to drop by for the guitar mass, which is generally my personal favorite, and which, as you know, always makes me tap my foot and occasionally sing out loud. But I digress. I fully understand, Lord, that speaking frankly, there is almost no chance of an early settlement, since in truth, my $7 million demand is outrageous, and my opponent would be out of his mind to accept it. So I will assume, Lord, 
for purposes of this prayer only, that I am going to trial in the morning despite the fact that it is likely to turn my hair prematurely gray and is even now making my stomach queasy with worry and uncertainty. And so, Lord, if we aren't able to settle the case in the morning, and if the judge doesn't cancel the trial so that he can go fishing, which as you know he loves to do, and perhaps should be omnisciently compelled to do tomorrow, then I will stand before the judge and jury, and in my loudest voice, demand that they return a verdict of $7 million. Be with me when I do that, Lord, for it will take guts and bravado and a certain amount of recklessness on my part, especially considering the facts, which tend to favor my opponent on many points, including, as you know, all the important ones. Be with me, Lord, not only when I attempt to use my powers of persuasion to sway the jury to an unreasonable verdict, but also during cross-examination, when I plan to make up the distance between what actually happened to my client and what I will tell the jury actually happened. What I mean, Lord, is grant me the fortitude to be a good cross-examiner, such that I ferret out the truth when it helps my case and skillfully conceal it when it doesn't. Aid me in making it perfectly clear to the jury why I am right and why my opponent is wrong, even though, as I said, you should bless him too, but not excessively, and only at the conclusion of the entire case, including any appeal, which often takes months or years. And finally, Lord, bless my witnesses, that they will remember to stick to the story that I have so carefully prepared for them, and avoid being caught in any damaging inconsistencies, and be spared the embarrassment of sweating profusely out of nervousness, or of losing their tempers when cross-examined by my opponent, or of exposing the bad sides of their characters, thereby alienating the jury, the members of which, by the way, you should also bless, but only once they're firmly on my side. It's a long list, Lord, but it's a big case. I hope you understand that, which, of course, you do. And now, Lord, I'm afraid it's back to work. Amen. <coughs> I wrote that as a joke, you know, but now I'm tempted to say it for real on more Sundays than I'd like to admit. And on that note, we've come to the end of the show. Some of the music today was from Podshow Music Network, which you can find at music.podshow.com. Remember, feedback about this show is always welcome. You'll find my email address on my weblog, Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground at legalunderground.com. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it and have them subscribe for free through the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Legal Underground Podcast. For more legal education, visit Evan Schaefer's Legal Underground at legalunderground.com. When it doesn't nauseate, it always entertains. <laughs>